0: Welcome to Well, I Know Now, the podcast in which I talk to people affected by dementia in various ways. I've chatted to people living with dementia, those looking after them, to actors, poets, artists, musicians, filmmakers and best-selling authors and every one of them has taught me something new. I'm Pippa Kelly. My mum Kay lived with vascular dementia for her last decade. At the time, my family and I knew virtually nothing about the condition. We were worried, frightened and overwhelmed and possibly in denial about what might be wrong with mum. Sadly, that's an all too common scenario. Now though, through my campaigning, I know so much more about this cruel set of diseases. I know now that it's possible to live a decent if changed life with dementia. I know it's down to all of us to help those with the condition live better, more fulfilled lives. And I know that it's often the smallest things that make the most difference. The poet Sylvia Plath wrote, well, I know now a little more about how much a simple thing like a snowfall can mean to a person. Dementia teaches you this too. Now, just before I introduce today's guest, I must apologize for the unscripted noises off from Reggie our 10 month golden retriever. He's normally a gentle chap, but today for some reason, and I suspect he might've been hungry, he was rather vociferous in that loud, barky way that dogs do so well. So sorry for the unsolicited interruptions and now on with the show. Change your life with an open university qualification, boasts the OU website. And my guest today did exactly that. Though actually she changed not just her life, but many hundreds, possibly thousands of others. For it was through a health and social care degree in 2011 at the age of 41, that she first became interested in dementia. And since then, she's gone on to win one of only 12 of the highly competitive places on a training retreat in America for those who work or share their lives with people with dementia. She's trekked the Great Wall of China, raising two and a half thousand pounds for Alzheimer's Research UK been named Dementia Champion of the Year by the Alzheimer's Society, created a dementia-friendly GP resource guide for Devon, introduced dementia-friendly cinema screenings, collaborated with award-winning cartoonist Tony Husband to produce two Shining a Light on Dementia calendars, been recognized as one of the 100 most influential women in Exeter and in 2018 received a British Empire Medal for voluntary services for people living with dementia in Devon. She also presents a radio show focused on living better with dementia. But by far her biggest achievement, my guest says, is launching Exeter's Dementia Action Alliance. She is, should anyone be left in any doubt, the force of nature, to quote one of her fans, that is Exeter born and bred woman, Gina Howard. Merely listing her accomplishments leaves me quite literally breathless. Later this year, in June, her book, United, Caring for Our Loved Ones, Living with Dementia, once again written in collaboration with the cartoonist Tony Husband, will be published. What is perhaps even more extraordinary is that Gina's passion and drive to improve life for those with dementia comes not from direct personal experience, but rather from childhood memories of her and her sister visiting care homes with their grandmother, who encouraged residents to engage in the creative arts. What really struck me then, over 40 years ago, was not the residents who were involved with the activities, but those who weren't. I felt a myriad of emotions to which at the time I didn't connect. It wasn't until a few years ago that I realized the impact those residents had had on me. As a little girl, I'd observed and identified with their sense of disconnectedness, fear, and vulnerability, and their isolation and loneliness never left me. Now, everything Gina does is about making a difference for those with dementia in their families. I want people to feel included and understood, she says, and to be treated with compassion so that they can live a meaningful life. So Gina Award, B E M, a very very warm welcome to Well. I know now.
1: Wow, Pepper, that's quite scary listening to that. <laughs> um, I, th- I thought, is that really me you're talking about? <laughs> huh, unless you're
0: doing a very good sort of imposter
1: <laughs> impersonation, I think it is. Oh, thank you for having me on um, your wonderful podcast.
0: It's a pleasure. I've been looking forward to our, our chat a lot and. I was fascinated by that last bit about you watching your grandma in the care home. So, can we travel back to then to start off with? That's mm. just a few decades ago when you were a small yeah. child. And I know you were visiting with your much loved sister Heidi and with your grandma. So, just describe in more detail what your grandma, I think, sort of did with the residents and what you saw, and and, and how this had a, such an impact on you.
1: Yeah, it's strange. I, I remember it like it was yesterday, as in going into care homes, and it was sort of forty two, forty three years ago now. And I remember a big table and her doing creative arts with the residents. I remember being aware that there were people engaged. But what struck me most, Pippa, was those that weren't. And those that weren't, and this is, you know, no disrespect to care homes because there are amazing care homes everywhere all around the world. But back then, being so long ago, there Mm. were many residents that were sort of sat around the periphery of the the lounge with a blaring TV, Mm. looking disconnected, looking frightened. And from my perspective as an eight-year-old, yeah frightened Mm -hmm. and I just remember feeling that and I think it it just sat with me it didn't stop me going into other care homes I, I felt an affinity I felt like it was a place and space that I really wanted to go to and I enjoyed those visits but that stuck with me and I wasn't able to sort of articulate that or even identify that as something that was pivotal in the work I was doing until probably about nine years ago when somebody said to me Gina, what drives you? Mm. What drives you? Mm. And I thought at the time, well, yeah, just helping people with dementia and people's voices heard. And I actually sat down one day with a pen and paper, and I started reflecting on my life. And I, I love to reflect, and I'm a bit of a lifelong learner. And it, it was that that struck up, and I thought, wow, it was that 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 mm. was it. I remember the vulnerability or feeling a sense of vulnerability from from those residents Mm. and it felt wrong I'm not saying it was wrong for them to be vulnerable they were vulnerable but it felt that there was more that could be done and more for them to be and not just sort of left there they were just disengaged and I just felt that there was more to this and then of course I started my degree
0: Yes, I was going to come on to that, of course, but I thought that was fascinating the way you hadn't even kind of clocked the connection yourself. It took somebody to, because I think you were quite often asked, because it's quite unusual actually, you were quite often asked, you know, have you got a family connection? And I find that a lot of people I meet, there is a personal reason, there is for me, it was my mum, there is for, you know, you and I know a lot of people in common and a lot of those people, there's a family member and there's a very obvious kind of link really to what we do. But with you, there wasn't. But when I I thought to myself, and I don't know whether this is true, and I don't in any way wish to infantilise older people, but I have noticed myself, I'm a great believer in intergenerational projects. And there does seem to be a very good connection between older people and very young children. Mm -hmm. And I think perhaps the vulnerability of a young child, you know, you can be quite dependent on other people and When you're in a care home obviously you especially if you've got dementia you can have to be quite dependent on other people and on other people's kindness and their perceptions and maybe you picked up on that as a young child i don't know but i thought it was really interesting it was so young
1: absolutely it's the vulnerability that i believe that Mm -hmm. i was tapping into because you know we're all vulnerable i'm aware when i'm vulnerable and I know what it feels like to be vulnerable and I kind of feel sometimes I'm maybe a bit self-indulgent but then in order for me to share my vulnerability which I have done with people Mm. it often enables them to share their vulnerability so the connection of intimacy is so much deeper and therapeutic and cathartic in you know in both ways.
0: Absolutely
1: I listen to a lot of
0: podcasts now and I've so enjoyed doing my own podcast and I think one of the things is that you've got to be honest, which is one of my sort of modus operandi, I know everything I do about dementia, actually. I'm very honest with people about what I perceive as my failings, where I feel guilty about what I didn't do for my mum. And I think there is something about that. You're you're exposing yourself a bit, aren't you? And in so doing, other people feel more secure with you. It's a very interesting phenomenon, that.
1: Mm. And it's just so interesting, you know, talking to you now and thinking back that obviously and this is not about an ego boost for me but there was something within me that Mm. really really connected Mm. from a very very young age and I think that's absolutely lied dormant in some ways and Mm. I think when I started counselling and training as a counsellor it was that that sort of was the early sparks of it and then Mm. since then it's it's kind of been like a domino effect in so many ways.
0: Yes, because you trained as a counsellor and then you did a six year open university degree. And I think mm. it was the third module. I don't know what stage of the degree that was that involved the dementia care. So yes. what did the module actually sort of show you and teach you about dementia care then that really began to resonate with you?
1: Well I think what it was was I was doing the module I was part you know in the module it was the second module and I started delving deeper you know what it's like people when you go on the internet and you're looking at one thing and then you digress and three hours <laughs> yes, later. You go down all sorts you, of little yeah. lanes. don't you? Yeah well it was it was really that I was looking at other things because I'm very very naturally curious I mm. wanted to know more and I'm like a sponge especially if I'm passionate about mm. something like dementia so I started looking around seeing what was going on and that's when I discovered the Alzheimer's Society Dementia Friends Initiative Mm -hmm. and I trained as a champion although I couldn't do very much at that point because I was studying with my degree I did take the training day and had all access to all the resources Mm -hmm. and started to be so aware of well just thinking about everything around dementia in the community in my community to find out what was happening and I just kind of went out on a personal mission it's like a crusade really around my local community find out what was happening with dementia because it seemed to me that once anyone was diagnosed with a dementia that they were kind of left and again it's tapping into this vulnerability side it's it's mm. my vulnerability it's their vulnerability and it's a sense of me feeling everyone can be vulnerable but they need connection and I think it's about how that can happen and how people can connect. And, and I guess in some way that's what I was doing by finding out what was happening and realising that everything seemed to be disjointed. And how could it be for people and their families? I mean, it's difficult enough to get the diagnosis, but then, you know, to have to deal with everything that comes with that is, there's layers of complexity, as you know. Mm,
0: mm. Now, I, um, I was struck by that as well when I was researching you because you said you found these gaps in the information, or in fact, there was the information out there, but people were saying to you, oh, thank you for sharing that piece of information with me, Gina, but why doesn't our GP tell us that? Or, Absolutely. You know, there are, and then I'm told that so often, and in fact, sometimes you can get to a point where there might be almost too much information, but it's no good <clears throat> having a lot of information out there if you don't know where to go for it. And it's all very well saying, oh, you've got to ask questions, when you don't know what the questions are, you've got to ask. <laughs> you're, you're You're so vulnerable, aren't you, at that point of diagnosis and soon after, I mean, quite apart from the shock of it all, where are you meant to go? Mm. And that was ten that was a good ten years ago, wasn't it? I would yeah. have thought. About twenty thirteen yeah. or something. So um, yeah.
1: yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: And you discovered the National Dementia Action Alliance. Just explain what a, an action alliance is when it comes to dementia.
1: Well, it, it varies in all pockets of community, but back in individual communities. But back then, yeah, it was about 2013, i done a bit of research and discovered the National Dementia Action Alliance. And I looked on the website that was there, that's kind of things have moved on now, but obviously this is quite a few years ago. Mm. And I noticed that in my area, as in, in Devon, the county, mm. there was an action alliance in Plymouth, in Falmouth, in Crediton and Tavistock. And I sort of made contact... With some of those alliances, and they were all doing very different things. Some were supported by, I think Plymouth was supported by a local university. Mm. So they were linking up and, and doing things in their area. And Tavistock was a couple, husband and wife, who were running around to sort of just spread awareness and talk to shops oh, and right. things about dementia okay. and all that sort of thing. And then Crediton, and I, I thought, well, there must be something happening in Exeter, but it's, you know, it's the next city to Plymouth, what's happening? And, and then I discovered that in Bristol, Tony Hall was very involved with the Bristol mm. Alliance. So I kind of reached out to some of these people. And then, as I said, I thought there must be something going on in Exeter. And I spoke to the National Alliance and I said, I'm guessing there's something going on in Exeter, but it's just not out in the mm. public domain yet. And, and they said, no, there isn't, but you could create, Something And I thought, well, I don't really know what that means. Mm. Um, and it means different for everybody. But my way of creating that, it just seems like a million years ago now, Pippa, mm. because so much has happened. But mm. it's really about going into the community and sharing information, whether that's a Dementia friend session, so sharing that with communities but inspiring those organisations and businesses or whoever they are to think about their service provision and what they can do Mm. as an organisation to support people living with dementia, whether they come in off the street to a shop Mm. or whether they do things online or, or whether it's a GP practice. And it might be simple things like wearing a Dementia Friends badge, if they've had a Dementia friend session. I know things are changing there nationally, but that's one of the routes. It might be if it's, you know, a bank, if somebody's diagnosed with dementia, how that's kind of flagged up. I mean, it Mm -hmm. might seem obvious that if somebody has dementia and they're with the bank, that the bank staff would know that. But if they don't understand about dementia, how are they going to behave or be Mm. with the person that's presenting with some behaviours which people are struck by and aren't really sure what's happening Mm. so there's lots of ways that we can progress things and everyone's unique and I've kind of done it to begin with Pippa is in a voluntary capacity for several years I don't quite know how I did bringing up a sort of teenage son and and working and studying. No I was just about to ask you that
0: Did, did you sort of do all this yourself did you go into the banks and the you know, wherever you might go, into the shops, into whatever it was, did you just sort of put in the um, the leather on your feet? You know, did you walk around doing it yourself uh, or, or did, yeah. you, did you get other people to help you? Or how did you actually practically go about doing it, given that you had,
1: yes, how old was Alex then? oh he was he was sort of teenager but he had his own sort of difficult emotional problems and things like that and growing up as a teenager and doing his GCSEs was difficult Mm, so he mm. was around 11 at the time he's 22 now so yeah and you know and doing the degree as well it's it when I look back Pippa I really don't know how I did did it it. to be honest (laughs) but going back to the leather of the shoes it was literally that so I would speak to organizations and just say can I sort of share information about dementia and some people would shut the door because this was going back 10 years ago and so say... some
0: nerve as well you know it's almost like mm. cold calling isn't it so are you sort of generally quite a an upfront person have you got a bit of um you know courage <laughs>
1: Well, interestingly, what is quite fascinating, and this is, again, something I've learned over the years, I'm actually quite introverted, Papa, Mm. but if I shared that with people, their perception would be, no, you're not, that's rubbish, you're Mm. absolutely as extroverted Mm. as they come, but I'm not, actually. I spend a lot of time reflecting and being Mm. within myself, but when it comes to a calling, which I Mm. feel this is, Mm. it's like I am, as, as people have said, a dog with a bone, and, you know, because... It's a cause. If it was something about myself, it would be another story. I wouldn't be able to stand up and wave that flag and crusade. But because it's this and I know how important it is and I know how high up the agenda it should be, I wasn't backing down. I was just going forward. And as I said, like, the door was shut in my face a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there were moments where I thought, oh, I can't do this because, you know, I'm, I'm annoying people now. I'm mm. frustrating them because I keep waving the flag and stuff like that. And then I thought, no. When I sat back and reflected, I thought, who am I doing this for? I'm doing this for the people. I have to continue doing this for the people because this is what I want to achieve for them. Had
0: you begun to know several people living with dementia then?
1: Yes, some yeah. I mean, there was a lady who who I've kind of befriended now called Sarah, and I know she wouldn't mind me sharing, but she approached me through a friend um, mm. because her grandmother was actually in hospital and she didn't want to be there, but she needed regular medication and she wouldn't let any of the staff give her a medication. And, and mm. my friend had uh, three young girls. And basically, she contacted me and said, I don't know what to do. I mean, the situation, interestingly, it was at that point that I learned about John's campaign, Nikki mm. and Julia. Mm. So I explained that there was something called John's campaign, which I, I know you've had Nikki on before, where people should be allowed into hospital to support their loved ones to help with that care in whatever way would be in their best interest. So I talked to her about that and, and the RD&E in Exeter had, had joined the campaign and she sort of went and sort of spoke to them about it and then ended up, before she was taking her children to school in the mornings, going in to see her grandmother, giving her medication right. and then going on to take her kids to school. So had we not spoken, she wouldn't have known about that and there could have been a lot of problems for the family. So
0: Yeah, so that was you spreading awareness of John's campaign, which allows the relatives and loved ones, one of the people with dementia who are in hospital, to go and stay there with them if they need to overnight and to help out, as your yeah, yeah as your friend did then.
1: That might seem like something small, but for them oh, it's huge. It's
0: huge. No, I mean, that's kind of the basis of my podcast. A lot of the time, these things that seem very small are, in fact, huge. They make a huge difference. They might be small, mm. but they make a huge difference. Mm. Also, very interesting, because um, somebody else I've interviewed for this series who said exactly the same to me is a woman called Neve condon who's a dysphagia chef chef for people with swallowing difficulties that Ooh. will include a lot of people with dementia and she's just like you she said actually i'm very shy and would never have thought in a million years that i would be able to come onto podcasts she's you know been in the newspapers in national newspapers she's become known as a very very good dysphagia chef and she said but it's, i couldn't do it for anything to do with myself, I would be absolutely mm. cringing, you know. But I have a passion in my belly about this, mm. and so because I have a passion, I'm very happy to do it, which is exactly what you just said. So that's very interesting. It fires you, doesn't it? I suppose the same for me, really.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and it, it's just so strange because people see me out in the public domain and think, "Wow, she's just oozes confidence." But mm. but it, it it really is a struggle doing it. I mean, even my radio show, as, as you know, you've been one of my guests. You know, that is really difficult, and I've been doing that for six years now. Every time, just before I go live on air, the producer's looking at me, and I've got I'm really scared. <laughs> and yet, when I speak, I'm I'm absolutely fine. So it's an interesting mm. paradox.
0: mm Hmm. And then just carrying on somewhat chronologically with your, with your life, this, I thought, was a really interesting episode in your life when, as I say, it was an incredibly prestigious thing to go on, actually, because there only 12 participants. But this was the, the Memory Bridge project in Indianapolis, I think it is, isn't it, in America? Six-day retreat at a Mongolian Tibetan cultural centre. Tell us about that and what you did there.
1: Yeah, so that was a really, really interesting thing to apply for. And it was, as you said, there were 12 people selected. They've been running it, I'm not sure for how many years now, but probably since the last two years they haven't because of the pandemic. But I think they started in about maybe 2013 or something like that. So I went on in 2015. But anyone can apply that sort of, interested and passionate about dementia but it's quite a rigorous process Mm, to get through and I remember I was walking in the Great Wall of China and I knew that when I got back I would find out if I'd got the place or not and in my heart I do believe in creating our own reality and I just had a real sense that I was going to be fortunate and I was. So when I got the email saying that you've been selected as one of the 12, I was just absolutely bowled over because it was only six weeks later they want to be going. So I needed to book my flight. But yeah, there was myself flew over to Indianapolis and 11 other people, nine From America and two from Australia. So I was the only European person actually to be selected, which was quite incredible. But it was just a really incredible experience, you know, getting up in the morning, doing sort of meditations and Buddhist sort of meditations and yoga. And we visited a local residential community who were participating in this. And we did drumming with them. We did one to one connecting with them. So I, I had a, they called them a buddy. So I sort of was a companion buddy to a lady and Barbara. And it was just really wonderful. And it was all about being with. The whole idea of the retreats, which sort of is foundation on I'm a Bridge, is that, you know, social isolation is there and we all need human connection. And it's about how we bridge that gap and try and support the fact that loneliness exists, but by a meaningful connection, we can connect in a very powerful, meaningful way. And it's quite hard to articulate, really, Pepper, to be honest, but it was an incredible experience.
0: Yes, you say that... We can meaningfully connect with people living with advanced dementia. We just have to intuitively know how. And Absolutely. one of the things you did on your Memory Bridge project when you buddied up with somebody with dementia was that you just sort of were being with the person with dementia. At times, no words were spoken between us. we just sit holding hands, the power of touch. It's very interesting. This has come up again and again in my chats with people on my podcast, actually, the power of just being with someone that we never normally really in our day-to-day lives do.
1: Exactly. And I think that it's so, so fascinating. It's so incredibly meaningful. But I also think for many people, it could be quite tough because we always want to feel the silence, you know, it's a natural human instinct to feel the silence. I mean I'm a lot better with silence now than I was years ago. Mm. So I can just sit there with someone and look at them and be with them and say nothing. And yet there's so much nonverbal between us and it's mm. it's an incredible experience and it's about literally being with, not doing two, not doing four, just being with. And the power around that, you know, if people get to experience them, that, is it's really hard to describe, really, really hard. You have to feel it and mm. be with it.
0: I know exactly, yes, it is It is extremely powerful. And I know that um, at the Memory Bridge, there was a lot of the philosophy that sort of sat behind it was related to, and I probably would pronounce this lady's name wrong, but it's Naomi Fial or
1: Yeah, Naomi Fell, yeah, but, absolutely.
0: Yes, who, who does a sort of, validation therapy I think she calls it and Mm. of course you are validating the sense of self of the other person you know their worth their self their identity all these things that one might begin to lose in the more advanced stages of dementia so I can see why and in fact there is isn't there I think you alerted me to it and I have seen it before, when I watched it, I thought, yeah, I have seen this incredible, powerful piece with Naomi and mm. um, a woman called Gladys Wilson on YouTube, and so if you just Google Naomi file, which is F-E-I-L and Gladys, I think it will just come up, and you can see Naomi sort of mirroring Gladys's movements, isn't she? And when Gladys is, is really obviously got quite advanced dementia, and she can't speak, she's beyond that sort of verbal communication, but as she begins to almost loosen up with Naomi. She tries to communicate, doesn't she? Or she doesn't just try, she does communicate, actually, through mm. beating her hand on the side of the chair. Mm. And the more forcibly she does that, the more impassioned Naomi's own speech to her, just this sort of being with her but just saying yes you know how mm. you know I can I think you you want to let me in a little bit Gladys mm. and you know mm. are you are you happier now and she's just going along with her and it mm. is a very very it is difficult to articulate but just the main thing is to watch it and you can see these two people and I think afterwards Naomi says it was like for a moment or two we became one
1: yes yes that's that's absolutely it Pippa it, it is incredible and it's like that and I think Probably years ago, if I was sort of sat with someone and they were being in a certain way, I I would now be able to mirror them now and Mm. quite comfortably. However, years ago, I wouldn't be able to do that. But I know if I was doing that with someone with advanced dementia and someone was watching me, a friend or something, I might think, what on earth are they doing? You know, what Mm, am I doing? mm, I'm mm, doing something that doesn't seem to make verbal sense. But actually it doesn't matter. It's mm. about trying to get out of your own way and your ego and being uninhibited and literally mm. just being there in that moment, Well, mm. whatever that is and wherever mm. that is. No,
0: absolutely. And it's as with so many of these things, it gives a lot to you, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah. It sort of enriches your own life um, as well as hopefully the person with dementia that you're sitting there with. It's, it's extraordinary, actually. Also, I know that you feel like I do and I think a lot of us, who sort of are involved in the dementia sector do, you're very keen on the importance of language. Just explain what what that means to you, because it means different things to different people.
1: Yeah, it does. And it's, you know, I love language anyway, but I do get frustrated with the terminology that's bounded around around any anybody that's got something that prevents them living as normal as possible, is, you know. And I think, although well, the word normal in itself, that's an issue for people. Um, mm. So excuse me there. But what I'm trying to say is that, you know, we are not here to label people. First and foremost, we are human beings. Mm. All of us as individuals, whether we've got ADHD, whether we've got something disability, whether we've got dementia. First and Mm -hmm. foremost, we are a person and a human being. And in the past, when I first started out on this journey, I did do quite a lot with the media and Now, I'm really specific. If I do any writing for the media, I will always say, and it doesn't always work, but 99% it does, I'll say to them, please, before you put anything out there, please, 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 can I read it? And that's not to diminish what you've written, but it's really because I need to put my name to something that I feel comfortable with. And language is so important. And if I'm writing about something to do with dementia and and somebody's writing in there, so-and-so, Gina Allen so-and-so is suffering with dementia. Who am I to, to label that person saying they're suffering? They may be, but mm-hmm. that's not for me to label them in that way. And to be honest, I have been really fortunate and people have been quite understanding that they've always honoured what I've asked and they've understood why. And I've always Explain to them why, and I've sent them information about why language is so important. And then actually, this has been well documented by people living with dementia, and this is how it makes them feel if we talk about them in a derogatory way. So it's something that I always share as much as I can, Mm. and I will continue doing.
0: Mm, mm. No, good for you, good for you, and uh, good luck with that, because I know that I'm always the same, but I afraid that publications do sometimes change them, don't they national yeah. papers can be a bit guilty of it but they've tried to correct it for me as well where they can and now talking about your own publication you've got your book coming out you seem to have really established a very close professional bond with tony husband just tell us all how that came about in the first place because you're doing some wonderful things together
1: Thank you. Yeah. So when was it? It must have been six years. Yeah, six years ago I met Tony because he came down to Exeter and was asked to do with Social Sciences Week with Exeter University and his book Take Care, Son. My dad lived with dementia. Obviously, his dad had dementia, and I think he he died in two thousand and fourteen. So when I met him in two thousand and sixteen, he came down um, to Exeter at the Phoenix Centre, which is a theatre in. In Exeter, and there was sort of a certain amount of tickets available to you know, it's a free event, but to, to see him talk about his book, which he did extremely eloquently. Mm, um, and great, I was sat, yeah, yeah, and I was sat in the audience and I was just so, so bowled over by how he presented his story and his images and the cartoons. and I just wanted to speak to him afterwards, I was just so drawn. I got to speak to this man, mm-hmm. and he yeah. had a lot of people there wanting to book to be signed and things like that. So I just said, I know you're really busy, I know you you got a queue of people, but. I really want to talk to you. So we did have a few minutes talking and, you know, we both wanted to carry on the conversation, but that, that wasn't meant to be. So I sort of said, you know, cheekily said, could maybe we could exchange email addresses and I could get in contact with you, you know, later on. And he was very amenable to that, which, which we did. And then I invited him to come down to Exeter the following year to do the same for some of the organisations that were part of the Exeter Dementia Action Alliance, a, a local solicitor's office, mm. which went down extremely, extremely well. And so from there, we've kind of just carried on connecting, and we've both got such a shared passion around it, and we just work really well together. And we've done a couple of calendars now, which is by no means easy for them. People see them at the end result and think, "Wow, this is amazing!" But it takes a hell of a lot of organising to to, to get to get those to come about, and and to and fro with us about images and how I want to capture certain things. And you know, sometimes there's some gentle disagreements about what I see and what, and because I'm always thinking about other people, what they are seeing, not just what I. Seeing and what mm-hmm. important messages are there to get across. So yeah, but obviously the most exciting is our book that comes out in June. Yes, yeah, so I just
0: repeated it, it's, and I'll repeat it at the end. But it's called United Caring for Our Loved Ones Living with Dementia. It's published by Little Brown, and I've been lucky enough to have a quick preview, a little sneaky peek of it, and it's absolutely brilliant. I immediately emailed you back, didn't I, Gina? Because um, yeah. I really was struck by it. It's practical. It's funny, it's incredibly informative, but I think because of Tony's wonderful cartoons in themselves, it gives it this sort of lightness, the lightness about it. So the important messages, which are very important, all around all sorts of things, actually, family carers having their own time having enough support the changing relationships that there can be between spouses between adult children and parents the progression of the condition the sense of empowerment of a person with dementia when they can actually help to raise awareness when they become champions there are so many messages within but it's just so easy to read it's a delight to read and then you think actually that was really interesting as well and you know so it makes you think and I love things like that I love things that make you think but don't bash you over the head with what they're trying to make you think so I thought I think it's very good and I you know wish you lots and lots of luck with it but I don't think you'll need my wishes of luck so I think it will do extremely well I hope it does and then I think sort of finally just tell us about how you came to get your radio program which goes out, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, on a Saturday. Is it a quarterly show On goes out on a Saturday?
1: It's when there's a fifth Saturday in the month. So it's only about four a year, so it's not many. So I connected with a lady when I started on my drive and passion for making a difference for dementia. I sort of contacted Phonic FM, the local radio show, and explained that I'd love to be a guest on the show to so just sort of, again, wave the flag and just talk about my... Desire to make an aspiration to make a difference, and when you email that, because everybody that sort of is on the show, you know, all the presenters, we're all volunteers, so it was just sent out to a generic email, and then whoever wanted to come back to me, one of the hundred presenters would do, and or a few of them would, or whatever. One lady called Anna came back to me and said, "Love to have you on the show. so We met for a coffee, went on the show, and she just said, "You're just so natural in the way you are as a guest." And I just think you've got so much knowledge. Why don't you have a show? And I said, oh, I wouldn't be able to do that. Mm. And I said, also, I wouldn't be able to commit to it. How would I get the guests and all that sort of thing? anyway I just kind of something came up that there was a a slot available that wasn't you know all consuming and overwhelming and and I just started it and I've never had a problem getting a guest I mean I've probably spoken to over 100 people I used to have three guests in the two hour slot but it's now two because three was too much Mm. Um, and I love it I love it Pippa.
0: It is it's brilliant I've listened to it lots of your guests and it's really brilliant they're very diverse aren't they?
1: Mm, very diverse. And I think that you the know, whole, whole essence of everything that I'm doing, whether it's United, the book, whether it's a radio show, whether it's a friend session, it's all about me being a, a medium, if you like, to share resources in whichever way I can. Because as we know, there are so many resources out there. I want to get those nuggets, those platinum resources and think right I've scanned through all of this what do I feel can really benefit people and share those resources so that's what I try and do and that's my aspiration in essence I don't want people to have to trawl the internet to find all these things I want to be able to say look here they are mm. here's the people you need to listen to obviously I'm not always right but I just do try and get around to reach out to as many people as I can in the, in the field
0: because mm. it's one of the things you said you know now is that you know how complex a condition dementia is And I suppose one of its many challenges is really, yes, to mine those nuggets and then make them accessible to other people, isn't it? Because it can become completely overwhelming. Um, It
1: is. It mm. is. It's totally overwhelming. And, you know, we know there's lots of resources out there, but for anyone that gets a diagnosis to be given you know loads and loads of different leaflets you know you're just going to look at them and be so overwhelmed put them away and then probably never look at them again and so it's it's the way in which these resources are made accessible it's how they're made accessible and and i think that's really really important but we're learning as we go along i mean there's been some dramatic shifts in the last 10 years
0: Mm. what would you say have been the biggest shifts in the last 10 years
1: I think awareness you know we've had storylines with different soaps and things on the tv and Mm. and that's great but I just think general awareness strides ahead however there are still a lot of people out there that still don't know what dementia really is Mm. and some of the symptoms and they do think that when someone gets a diagnosis that they're going to forget who they are and that's it so what's the point in connecting with them because they won't remember who they are and I always always state that this is So far from the truth. It can be this way later on, but not for everyone. Mm. Because, as Wendy Mitchell says, you know, many times, you know, brilliant author and person living with dementia Mm. herself, Mm. you know, when you met one person with dementia, people, you've met one person with dementia.
0: Absolutely, as she also says in her quite brilliant fashion. That you know, with dementia, don't fast forward to the end because there's a beginning, a middle, and there's a, a whole lot of living in between as well. Absolutely, um, and I love that. I know I that. She, she's absolutely great for these sound bites, isn't she? These really meaningful sound bites, Wendy Mitchell. She's just a totally, she totally brilliant, all round, fantastic she's person, fabulous. in my opinion. Um, I did about you, but the most common question that I get asked actually when I do any kind of public speaking or is what's the difference between dementia and Alzheimer's? Which, of course, Mm. isn't even really, as I try and very politely explain to people, it's not even really the right question because it's not that there's a difference between Alzheimer's and dementia, it's that dementia is an umbrella term almost for over 100 different types of dementia, and Alzheimer's is just the most common by far.
1: Absolutely. And that's exactly what I share in my sessions. It's part of the Dementia Friends sessions. But I really do make a big point of that. I might say to people in the room, do you know the difference between Alzheimer's and dementia? And if somebody says, yes, I do, I'll say, what do you think it is? You know, and often they they don't know, or they will say, no, I don't know, tell us. And I say Mm. exactly that. Imagine dementia is the umbrella, and the different types, and there's over 100 other spokes. Mm. And the reason you hear mostly about Alzheimer's is because it's the most common type Mm. of dementia. Mm. And of course, there's so many more, and I only know a few of them, Pippa. Mm. Mm. Mm.
0: No, absolutely. So it is interesting how I think awareness has increased massively. And I think what I sort of call, I didn't coin the phrase, but I like it, the soft power of culture. And that is when you get a storyline in, I think, virtually every soap now radio and television you know whether it's Coronation mm. Street the Archers all of these soap operas and casualty and you know mm. they all have and and they're very mostly i mean the the vast majority extremely well researched often they will ask people like i know Wendy Mitchell has advised some of them and mm. you know they will get people living with dementia the experts by experience people who really know to make sure they've they've got it right so mm. they do take it seriously and they do want to try and help and i think that's um really interesting also i think you know celebrities have come out haven't they much more and yes. far more and when a celebrity talks about it it does have a big power because uh for some reason we all think we know celebrities and so there's a real connection there you think well if um prunella scales can get it or you know or whoever you then realize yeah this this thing exists and it could be me
1: absolutely and it's so true and i think what's interesting is that and we know with barbara Windsor, for many celebrities you know that they've sort of waited until they've mm. decided to share it and that's understandable for many reasons being in the public eye and how people mm. perceive but what we really want is we want people to get that timely diagnosis even though there's still sort of fear around getting that yeah. diagnosis yeah. and then being able to talk about it mm. isn't we're not going to normalize it are we but it's you know if you think 20 well 30 years ago with cancer yeah, you know so yeah, that that was a big you know issue whereas now we're able to at least start talking about dementia a lot more mm. um but it, mm. it does raise a lot of different connotations and mainly that's because we don't have a cure at the moment
0: yes absolutely and um there's a fear still isn't there i think partly mm. because we don't have a have a cure and then also because we fear it we don't talk about it and because we don't talk about it a lot of people don't understand it cause it's, I mean, I've admitted this. I didn't really want to know about it before my mum got it. I would just mm. kind of shy away from it. I would metaphorically cross the road away from people with it because I just mm. it was too awful in a way. And mm. then and then, once somebody you love and know, and she's my mum, as you rightly said, Gina, you know, a human being first and mm. foremost, and, well, mm. my mum first and foremost, you know, if anybody gave her a sideways glance when we used to go out to the cafe or the restaurant, you know, when her dementia was beginning to make her behave a bit more differently... Wow, I would mm. give these people such a look back, you know, because all of a sudden Absolutely. I was like a sort of tigress around her, and it was a big learning curve for me. And I thought, why did I ever, why did I ever feel that sort of stigma? Why did I ever do mm. that? I, you know, and it sort of, you have to look at yourself, don't you? I think it makes you yeah. look at yourself. It um, does, and what it means to be human, and makes you. I think it's made me kinder. My whole sort of connection with dementia, so. But but what for you, Gina, what it's done is I just, you do make me feel exhausted um, just listing what you do. And you have got such a fire and passion about you. And I love the way you don't just kind of talk about these things, which is in a way all I ever do. You really get out there and do things like, you know, you're such a doer and nothing's going to stop you. (laughs)
1: <laughs> no, and I, I need to be. And like I said earlier on, that there are times when I think, oh, I'm so exhausted. But and then I might have a couple of sort of quiet days or whatever. But then I'm always I'm, I don't rest on my laurels, Pippa. Mm. And it's because I remember somebody saying to me, actually, and it stuck with me now you've got this award, Gina, don't waste on your laurels. And I took a little bit of offence to that because I thought, well, I don't do that anyway. You're never going to do that. No, no, exactly. But interesting perspective because obviously some people do, but I am just so passionate and I don't know where my journey is going to lead next, but I can see myself working with families at literally grassroots. So even being sort of a a companion for people with maybe moderate dementia that are living at home where the families need that respite to go Mm, out and mm. have a day to themselves and be able to support them. But also I'm just about to... Come to the end of a coaching diploma, so and with my counselling background, I can use those skills which are transferable and help support the families as well as signposts and things. So, Brilliant. that's my kind of aspirations.
0: Well, best of luck! Um, thank you you're so doing much, a Pippa. Fab- fabulous job! And just keep doing it, keep going out there, keep you know your lifelong learning, and um, just keep going for it. And never rest on your laurels. No, I won't. <laughs> <laughs>
1: thank you, thank you, oh, Gina. thanks, Pippa. Thank you.
0: Gina Award is, to quote her, like a dog with a bone when it comes to shining a light on dementia. Her passion, even down the line from Exeter to Sussex, was palpable. This is even more extraordinary when she admits that she wouldn't possess such boldness or nerve about anything to do with herself. It's because she knows how important her cause is, which reminds me of my earlier guest, Neve Condon, whose natural shyness was overcome by her drive to create nourishing, appetizing food for those with swallowing difficulties. I understood completely too Gina's wonder at the power of just being with someone. Not doing to or doing for someone else, but simply being with them. Not to, not for, but that wonderful word with. I love that. Many of my guests have high levels of empathy, no one more so than Gina, who was a little girl identified with the vulnerability of the older people in her grandma's care home. She was struck, not by those who engaged with the art therapy her grandma was doing with them, but by those who were not engaged, who were disconnected, fearful, and vulnerable. The brilliant cartoonist Tony Husband, a two-time guest on this show, and Gina's collaborator on United Caring for Our Loved Ones, Living with Dementia, shares her empathy and understanding for those with dementia, an affinity, an understanding which in his case he channels through his clever and perceptive cartoons. I would urge anyone who feels alone or vulnerable or fearful in their caring role for a loved one with dementia to read this book. It's like a friend, a companion, who seems to know what you're going through and is there to help, to simply be with you. Gina knows, as do I, just how very powerful that can be. And finally, if you've enjoyed listening today, I would be very, very grateful if you would rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform or channel you're listening to it on, as this will help spread the word about the podcast and then together perhaps we can further diminish the stigma, increase the knowledge, and quash the myths surrounding dementia.